your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Lefty comes set. Here's the 2-2 pitch to Matthews. Matthews hits one well to left, backing up his aid. He's to the wall, and it is off the top of the wall. One run scores. Here comes Everett to score. Motoring around in third is Banjoff. And for the second time this season, Bryce Matthews has delivered a bases-clearing double. This one gives Nebraska a 7-6 lead. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are back for another night of Sports Nightly. So thank you so much for spending part of your evening with us tonight. We are honored to be able to have your ears for at least a little bit here tonight. Here's what we have coming up on the program. Parker Gabriel, the outstanding writer for the Lincoln Journal Star, will join us. We'll get his thoughts about Husker Spring football. He was in attendance Saturday for the open practice session that over 3,000 fans witnessed, and we'll get Parker's take on what he thinks have been some of the bigger storylines of spring football. Always enjoy having Parker with us, and he'll be with us again here in hour number one. Second hour of the program, recently Ben caught up with Brendan Hymas. We'll listen to that conversation. Hymas getting ready for next week's NFL draft. I think he is safely in the draft. Probably the only Husker that's not guaranteed. You can't ever say guaranteed, but Feeling pretty confident that he will hear his name called during the three-day affair that begins a week from Thursday. So we'll catch up with the Husker offensive lineman that started all four years at Nebraska. A couple of years on the right side and then flipped over to the left tackle spot for his last two years in Lincoln. So we'll uh, listen in on that conversation. We'll go beyond the headlines. We'll let Tim and Austin kind of set the tone for us in hour number two. Third hour of the program, our top ten Tuesday. And we'll also play you our latest... Husker Sports Originals, a podcast about the 25-year anniversary of Brooke Beringer, the former Husker quarterback who tragically died in a plane crash 25 years ago. A great look back at, at the events of that and Brooke's life. Uh, some amazing comments from Tom Osborne in that podcast. We'll play a part of that coming up in uh, hour number three of the program. And, you know, the, our top ten topic tonight is going to be about, uh, you know, we give – particularly Brett Trouble here on the program for talking about EuroLeague soccer. Well, EuroLeague soccer has talked about putting together a super league, which is kind of bombed for them the last couple of days when word of this leaked out. So we're going to put together a super league of college football teams that we would like for Nebraska to be a part of a conference. We'll have fun with that. But, man, this thing blew up. Hasn't it been this this thing in Europe with uh, their soccer league? It, it's gotten a lot of attention and a lot of teams were pulling out of it, saying that we don't want any part of that deal. Um, I, I think somebody came up with a brainstorm idea that, that has now literally bombed over in Europe for, for EuroLeague soccer. Yeah, I can't say that soccer news is something that I, I seek out, right, you know, during the day. There's, there's enough going on around, uh, around our world right now where soccer usually doesn't make the cut no disrespect for those that enjoy the sport i'm just not really one of them um but yeah i mean it was hard to ignore that and some of the things that have come from that uh you know the last couple of days and yeah it, it got kind of intense right i mean you had that then you know basically someone saying that okay if you play in this league this this bans you from world cup consideration and all all the possible um you know things that uh 
you know, fallout from, from participating in this deal. And I think after that, people are like, okay, well, maybe this isn't such a good idea. So, yeah, it's been kind of <laughs> crazy to follow, but it's also inspired a lot of lists and things like this that people have been uh, discussing and talking about with the conferences. And, you know, if you could pick someone in your conference, who would it be? Top 15 you know, programs or whatever it is um, have stemmed from this the last couple of days. So uh, we're going to follow that trend tonight. We'll have some fun with that coming up at hour number three. What One thing that, that struck me is that I don't know that we're done with realignment talk. In fact, we're getting closer, the, about two years out now, from new TV deals going into effect for the Power Five conferences. And that's usually when you get the shakeup of realignment. It's been quiet for a while. But I'm not sure we're done with that. I think that, you know, there's still talk about the Power Fives in football breaking away from the NCAA and doing their own thing and putting together their own playoff. Uh, I, I think that's still a possibility. I still think that could be in the cards at some point where the Power Fives, who operate, quite honestly, on a different financial level than a lot of Division One schools in the country do just because they have these great big football stadiums and sell an awful lot of tickets and get big time tv money where schools that reside in the mac or the mountain west or the sun belt they don't they don't get that they don't get great big crowds and they don't get huge giant tv contracts so they just don't they're not competing on the same level the power fives do and the but the power fives when there's voting that comes up at ncaa conventions they get outvoted because there's more of quote the little guys than there are the big boys in the power five and that's why there's constantly talk about the power five and the big 10 would be certainly among that that might break away from this thing my sense is though ben i think we will see still more shifting and i think it's we're still a few years out as i mentioned i think we're still two two three years away from new tv contracts coming up but i don't know that we've heard the last of that i my gut still tells me we're still going to have some shifting around with some teams and conferences before this decade which just got going now in 2021 before this decade is out i think we do see a little bit of a reshuffle do you do you have a sense of that or do you think it's going to just kind of stay as it is for a while I, I don't feel like there's the urgency that there was when realignment um, was was first just going crazy. I'll never forget that time, um, you know, working at the network when we were still a part of the Big 12. Because remember, there were there was a lot of other teams that were either on the move or rumored to be on the move before us. And, and that was really, really interesting showing up to work every day, chasing down the rumors. And, and you know, we, we're honestly, you know, checking in with what was da- happening down in Austin, Texas, um, a, a lot of the times, too, because th- they seem to have a lot to say, and, and, and the Longhorns seem to be kind of in the middle of it all. That was such a bizarre time, you know. And then once that first domino fell and schools started hopping conferences, us included at Nebraska – that was that was one of the more intense periods that I can remember working here because, you know, especially if you're a part of the old Big 12 with Texas A&M leaving, Colorado leaving, Nebraska leaving, we, we're showing up to work every day wondering, is that conference going to dissolve? Because if you remember right, you know, th- there was a lot of rumors of like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State um, you know, and then the teams jump into the Pac-12 potentially, and you're thinking, okay, is is this is this is this going to be it? Is this going to be it for them? 
and and they you know then they they of course bring in TCU, they bring in West Virginia, they kind of salvage what what was in that league. That that was just crazy. And I remember thinking at the time with Jeff and Lane that within a year, two years, we're going to have these super conferences. We're going to have sixteen teams. We're going to have you know twenty four team conferences and. You know, college football as we know it is going to completely change. Thankfully, things have slowed down a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, the biggest thing we had to adjust to was, playing, besides playing in a new league, was Texas not playing Texas A&M and, um, you know, losing some of those rivalry games that, that you had otherwise. But, man, that conference realignment period was just so crazy um, to to be a part of. And, I, I, I mean, I know people – have had their frustrations with the Big Ten, but I'm glad that Nebraska wasn't one of those teams that was kind of flapping in the wind uh, going, well, what about us? Where are we going to end up? And, you know, we found a home in the Big Ten. That that was just a really bizarre time period because we weren't sure then at that point what college football was going to look like. How, what, how many of these teams are you going to play? What's your conference schedule going to look like? You know, it was just so much unknown that was happening at that time and um, I, I still have nightmares thinking about it of what a super conference would look like, you know, to wipe away or merge an a- SEC and an ACC or whatever the, the case may be. It, it's just it gives me anxiety to think about what that might do to the landscape of college athletics. I again, I I do I think it's may not be nearly as crazy as it was a decade ago, but I do think there could still be some minor tweaking. We will see. I think we're still again to three years out on that but when all the super league talk came up it certainly that's what kind of my mind drifted off to is are we are we headed maybe to something like that again particularly as it pertains to college football so we will see all right uh, topic number two the lincoln health authority today came out and they are upping capacity for youth sports uh, and sports capacities to 75 percent now this should should help Husker baseball because they've been operating at Haymarket Park for those series with Minnesota and Maryland at a 50% capacity. And uh, they had you know, like 2,700 the first weekend in Minnesota. They then figured, well, really our capacity is closer to 6,000 with all the people you can put on the berms. So they allowed about 3,100 in for the next weekend with Maryland. Well, now with, with this new health thing going up to 75% occupancy, um, that I think opens the door for – Wow, I mean, I, Tim probably can get his calculator out, or Austin, and can find what say say it's sixty one hundred for capacity. Seventy five percent's got to be somewhere in the four thousand range, and I would think Nebraska would take advantage of that. That probably also means that could be the same thing for Memorial Stadium, although there are still thirteen thousand tickets, uh, thirteen thousand tickets still available for the spring game on May the first. So I don't know if Nebraska will do anything with their football game here in ten days. But they sure could for baseball. And you, looking down the road, Ben, to that Memorial Weekend Series of Michigan, 75% capacity probably won't be hard to hit for Husker baseball if that's indeed what they go push the uh, the capacity limits to out of Haymarket. That would be a pretty special feeling showing up to the ballpark if that were the case, wouldn't it? Yep. I mean, if, if both teams are continuing on the trajectory that they are, uh, being the top two teams in the league, that I'm mean, just getting goosebumps just thinking about yeah. what type of atmosphere it it wouldn't be entirely dissimilar to the weekend series with Michigan in 2019. Um, you know when we finished the series with the Wolverines and you know that that wasn't for a league championship per se because we still had to follow what Indiana was do, doing and 
the Hoosiers took care of I can't remember who they were playing that weekend, but uh, Michigan State maybe it wasn't a great opponent, and they they basically had the control of their own destiny and took advantage of that. But you know, Nebraska put themselves in a. We felt great about a regional winning that series, and, and I think it might even be amplified this year if the two teams continue on that path. Uh, both teams have have a, a really tough May before that, uh, the Nebraska side and, and the Michigan side, but. Um, there's no love lost between those two teams. I know some of the, a lot of the roster has turned over, but um, I know our boys still remember those battles with Michigan, and I'm sure the players that are left on that team uh, remember the battles with Nebraska. And it's going to be it's going to be intense. And you know, you hope that um, the, the capacity numbers go up and fans can sit back and enjoy some high caliber baseball. Austin's quick math says if you if you list capacity at Haymarket Park at six thousand, you'd be at forty five seventy five. That would look pretty cool because I'll tell you, thirty one hundred a couple weeks ago for the Maryland series looked great. It, and, and you add fourteen hundred more people in there, it is going to be a raucous atmosphere. So, but and and then if you extend it further out, if that's what we stay under all summer long, and, and I think it's going to get better than this. I think we're trending in the right direction with this virus. But if you go seventy five percent for the fall for Husker football. Then you're talking about pretty darn, pretty darn close to to capacity at Memorial Stadium. You'd be, you know, in the seventy thousand range. It would look really cool. So that's where it is now. That that came down the pike today from Lincoln Health. So that's that's great news. That's that's fantastic news that we do seem to be getting the virus under control. More and more people are getting vaccinated with each passing day. Uh, but I, I would expect Husker baseball now to to really push that to that 75% limit. I don't think they'll touch it for the spring football game in 10 days, primarily because there's still 13,000 seats available to the 50% capacity. So uh, plenty of tickets available if you want to come to that spring game, if you want to go get some folks together and uh, come on out and have a good time on May 1st, uh, have at it there. But I do think it it uh, will be advantageous for Husker baseball for the final three home series as they play Rutgers, Northwestern, and Michigan all in the month of May, actually April 30th for game one of the Rutgers series. But that's, uh, that's going to be a, a nice little addition to Haymarket Park to get that many more people through the gates. Fantastic news today. And it also means we're, we're beating this virus. We are, we are finally getting on top of this thing, and that is fantastic news. We're back on a Sports Highlight Tuesday night. Glad to have you with us here tonight. We're glad to have Parker Gabriel, the Lincoln Journal star, with us as well. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Greg. How are you? Good. Um, Husker football practice. Spring ball kind of winding down. We've got about 10 days before the spring game, and I know that you made it out there for the open practice session on Saturday. Give me what were a couple of things you were you were really looking forward to, to observing and viewing, and then did did you did you find other things that, that caught your eye while you're out there? Yeah, I, I was interested in a bunch of things. Uh, I guess not surprisingly, um, a couple of them. You know, we got a lot of information on. It was interesting to watch the young quarterbacks uh, work through an entire practice. Interested to see you know, a wide receiving core that that by and large was a bunch of first year guys in 2020 that are now second year guys. Uh, was interested to see what the the running back room looked like. I guess we got sort of less intel on that because a bunch of those guys, sort of a different set of guys than earlier in the spring, but but several of them are still out. So a little less insight maybe there. And then just you know, I think you want to get eyes on some of those some of those young guys on defense. It's really 
we hear a lot about the next wave sort of beyond all the seniors that are back, but yeah, we don't see much of practice and, and, and all of that. And so you, you just don't, haven't seen a whole lot of uh, Javen Wright or of Noah Pola Gates. And so it was good to get eyes on those guys too and watch them work for a couple hours. What about the physicality of the practice? Was it up to what you thought? Because this wasn't really a scrimmage, right? This was a, just a, a practice that they were going through that they probably do four out of five days of the week. Yeah, it was. And I think that was another thing that I, I was very interested in. You know, I was, I, you tend to sort of get locked in on just on personnel stuff, uh, you know, especially this time of year. But but one of the things, you know, we, we haven't seen an entire practice uh, in, in several years here at Nebraska. And so it was interesting just to sort of watch the 30,000 foot view as much as you could too. And, you know, physicality, it definitely, it was a physical day. Like you said, it wasn't like they didn't go live extensively or for long periods of time. And so, um, you know, they were, a lot of it was drill work. It probably wasn't, the guys would probably tell you it wasn't the most physical day of spring, but it was long and it was fast paced and there certainly was some hitting. And a lot of times we've seen this when, we get maybe 30 minutes at the beginning of practice that's open. I think typically they start after stretching with a fast physical period right off the bat to try to sort of set the tone for the rest of practice. And, and we did see that on Saturday with the, uh, the old Nebraska drill with a, a lineman uh, from each side of the ball, a blocker and a linebacker, and then a, a back and a defensive back. So that, that's, always, that's always fun to watch. There were some big collisions. And, and overall, yeah, I mean, there was a good deal of – of physical play on the afternoon. Busy with Parker Gabriel of the Lincoln Journal Star here on Sports Island. He covers Husker football for the Journal Star. We've we've heard the coaches, we've heard players talk about an added emphasis on special teams, and I guess Connor Culp was not dressed, the, the returning All Big Ten place kicker. But did you notice an emphasis on special teams, and and what did that look like as you viewed it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard not to notice the emphasis on special teams when Mike Dawson's running them because you can hear them from about South Street <laughs> out on the field. He's got a big voice. So, uh, so yeah, it, it was, it was interesting. It wasn't, again, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of live work, but there was, there were several periods that involved um, special teams drill work. A lot of it was about, looked like about, a lot of it was about running lanes uh, and then conversely identifying, you know, and setting up lanes in the return game. So it was, you could, you could definitely tell, I mean, almost to a person everyone we've talked to this spring um, has, has mentioned that emphasis in some way, shape or form. Um, and it was, it was on display, I would say on, on Saturday. Um, you know, they're not, they're not quite at full strength there. Connor Culp, I think you mentioned, you know, has been out for the spring. Mike Dawson said uh, this week that that's not something that's a long-term concern. Don't quite know what the kickoff situation is going to look like. You know, they're looking for a guy that can drive the ball in the end zone we'll see you never like to count on a walk-on freshman obviously but we'll see about uh the kid from ord kellen meyer i'm not sure they have a guy who's going to put it eight or ten yards deep all all the time in spring ball uh, but then on the other side you know alante brown's hurt um and, and is gonna he, he was in a cast on his left arm on saturday but um they had cam taylor Britt and, and oliver martin running kicks out of the end zone and that that picture looked pretty good I, I want it to be noted. We've been talking five minutes on having asked quarterbacks, but he, but here I go. How about how about what what, what you, how about what you saw from the, the guys wearing the green jerseys on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think that the everyone has said that Adrian Martinez has had a productive spring, and I think I think you saw that. 
you know, it's, it's always it's a little bit hard to, to benchmark what you see in practice when you don't see practice regularly. You know, you, you have to sort of keep in mind that you're seeing one day, one point in time. But I thought Adrian looked good. I mean, he, he was accurate with the ball for the most part, missed one or two in a, in a sort of team setting. But um, overall, threw the ball really well. I, I agree just to my non-expert eye. The coaches have said he looks a step faster. He said he feels a step faster. I think it's fair to say that's what it looks like when you watch him. And then I, there was a lot of interest in the young guys, you know, Logan Smothers and, and Heinrich Harburg. And the, the way I put it is, if you if you went to practice looking for things to like about those guys, they're not hard to find. You know, Smothers was a little erratic early. Uh, you know, he struggled to really drive the ball with a tight spiral, you know, down the field maybe throughout the day. But there's a lot of things you can find that you like. He makes quick decisions. Um, when it looked like he was just playing and in rhythm in the middle of practice, it looked pretty good. And then Harburg, you know, he, he's got a big arm. He's got a lot of a lot of talent in that right arm. Uh, and he's a good athlete. He's much bigger than any of the other quarterbacks in the room. So you like the sort of physical package that you're working with. Just He's a freshman, you know. There's a couple that sailed well into the sideline. There's a couple that, that were, you know, one hoppers in the dirt. That happens. So if you're looking for – promising signs in the quarterback room they're they're all over the place the question that a lot of people wonder though is like are one of those guys ready to be the number two right now and I don't I don't know the answer to that question I don't know if the coaches quite know the answer to that question yet but it's important not to forget about Matt Masker in that conversation too he's just sort of you know he's a walk-on I think this is fourth year in the program now he's just sort of steady Eddie and everything he does Kind of an Andrew Bunch type, I think, with with yeah. Masker yeah, and then yeah. you know, and Bunch got to start that that game against Troy when Adrian got hurt, and you had Tristan Jebbia leave the team. So I, I think Masker's kind of in that mold. So you're right; that, I'm glad you pointed that out. Interesting quote, Parker, early in camp from Greg Austin about how they maybe not aren't, aren't emphasizing how quickly they practice and go from snap to snap, but trying to finish plays a little bit. Was did, What'd you make of that quote? And did you see evidence of that kind of practice going on on Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. I think again, you know, it's a little hard to say when you don't see it regularly, but, but sometimes, and, and Scott Frost has talked about this before where, you know, the, some of the coaches on the staff have said in past years, like, we don't do much correcting in practice. That, that might sound a little odd to the people listening, but the idea is like you just go as fast as you can, you get as many reps as you can, and then th- when they're done with practice, they basically go watch practice in the film room, and that's where a lot of the teaching tends to happen or has happened in the past in this program is between practices in the meeting room rather than stopping a guy after he has a rep in a drill and saying, okay, no, Oliver, this is the, the leverage we want on your block. And this play is like this instead. Remember, you know, so, so on and so forth. And there was definitely some of that that happened on Saturday. You know, you saw guys, Travis Fisher, grab a guy after a rep and talk to him about the way he opened his hips or, you know, Greg Austin, a lot of the line stuff at this point, you know, it was um, individual or it was half line. So there's a lot of hands-on teaching happening in practice. And so I can't tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt if it's more or less than what the same practice last spring looked like. But I thought that what that line that Greg Austin had about finishing, I thought you saw that just in the sense of like, 
they were they were deliberate, and I think there was a good amount of instruction sort of being given out, you know, as practice went, as opposed to just being right after practice. Yeah, that that quote sure piqued my interest when I heard him say that. And again, that was right when the, I think that might have been after day one or day two of, of practice. So I just wondered what you thought about it. We thought we haven't talked defense. Travis Fisher, you alluded to him earlier. He did say yesterday that right now Quentin Newsom would be that corner opposite Cam Taylor Britt. Uh, how about the competition in the secondary? What did you see from that group as you have viewed that 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 all on Saturday? Yeah, th- there's a lot of it. You know, he and 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 Travis Fisher said yesterday he doesn't he he doesn't even feel like he has you know twos in a way. He's got one point fives, and that sort of goes to the trust um, that that he's got in guys beyond just the you know the three returning starters, and then we're putting Quentin Newsom in the number one group for now because Travis Fisher said as much yesterday. So. You know, that number two line that they rolled out on Saturday was, for the most part, Braxton Clark and Nadab Joseph on the corners, and then Noah Pola Gates and Miles Farmer at safety. And that's really a, that's a really athletic, you know, foursome. I mean, that those guys have length and range and athleticism. And it's really just about, you know, Braxton Clark um, probably has played the most out of that group. Miles Farmer was closing that gap a little bit last year before he got hurt. And so the, the challenge really is going to be how do you, you know, use those guys' skill sets to the best of your ability during the season and find a role for them while also not exposing yourself to risk when you don't have your starters on the field. So that's a good problem to have. If you have, if you have eight or nine guys you feel like you can play, that's a really good problem to have. And that's, you know, so that's the starting four and then those four. And then that's before you're talking about Javen Wright and Isaac Gifford, who are, this spring are playing the sort of Jojo Doman role, which is a little bit of duty. It's mostly Mike Dawson's group. It's a little bit Travis Fisher's group. And so they've got a lot of bodies back there, a lot of guys to sort through, but I think they've got, you know, not just depth, but some, some functional depth and, I'm sure Travis Fisher would tell you that's a good problem to have if he's got to find a way to get seven or eight guys on the field. Yeah. Well, last thing for you, the, the linebacking core is, is intriguing to me, and I, I kind of feel like with with fellows like Phil Darius Payne, and I'm anxious to see Blaze Gunderson get going, and, 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 and there's a couple of names in there that I think could really be an impactful guy defensively. What do you make of the linebacking core, and can that be, can that be a group that takes another step forward in the fall? Yeah, well, I thought that the outside linebacking group maybe had as many questions as any group on the roster going into last year. And, you know, it wasn't – they didn't have Randy Gregory out there taking over games. But overall, I thought you saw a pretty sizable uptick in the quality of play in that position group, um, you know, as the season went along. And so you've got all of those guys back. Um, You know, I wrote about Feldarius Payne today. The guy – that guy got to campus last summer in the middle of the pandemic – had shoulder surgery when he got to campus, rehab for two months. Then right about the time he got done rehabbing, he contracted COVID, missed some time, had to isolate, lost a bunch of weight. So then they moved him from defensive line to linebacker. I mean, it just was like, you know, it was like he's like Odysseus, you know. It just was the <laughs> – the there was just no rhythm to his year whatsoever. And so you've got guys like that that just in a year, a relatively normal year will do them good. And then – the inside linebacking group is really interesting to me because this year would have been under normal circumstances, a big year of adjustment, right? Will Honus and Colin Miller both would have been gone and you would have had nothing but young guys on the roster. 
But Will Honus's decision to come back and then the addition of Chris Kolarovec, the graduate transfer from Northern Iowa, really uh, extended the veteran nature of that room by a year. And then by 2022, Nick Henrich and Luke Reimer will be old guys, you know. And so they've really bridged the gap experience-wise in that room, I think, uh, assuming that those guys stay healthy. And a, a group of four, a top four in some combination of, of Will Honus and Luke Reimer and Nick Henrich and Chris Kolarovec, I mean, I think that's got a chance. It's April, so we don't have to make any grand proclamations, but that's got a chance to be the deepest group that Barrett Root has had here. And if you would have said that a year ago, looking at just projecting the 2021 roster, you would not, I don't think you would have come to that conclusion. So again, it's a good problem to have, to have guys that you can use. And, and in talking to Barrett over the years, I mean, that he would love it if he had four guys he could use interchangeably over the course of a full season. Yep, no doubt. Different having fans in there again, was it? Probably kind of cool to see some folks in the stadium again. It was awesome. They broke out the uh, Go Big Red champ before stretching was even done. So the <laughs> folks were happy to be back. They had about 3,200, and um, we we'll probably multiply that by 10 for the spring game, so it should be pretty fun. Very good. Parker, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you, sir. We'll look forward to the spring game on the 1st. Yep, have a good night. Here we are. We're back. Hour two, Tuesday night sports on here on the Husker Sports Network. Coming up this hour, we're going to hear from Brendan Hymas, the senior that is expected to be drafted next week by the National Football League in their three-day draft, which begins a week from Thursday. Always a fun time. A lot of people get fired up for that NFL draft. We'll have that. We'll go beyond the headlines, see what Tim and Austin have cooked up for us tonight. Always a fun segment to get into. And we have some open phones throughout the hour for you as well at 531 We've really enjoyed Ben getting to know Brendan Hymas and watching him play. I mean, came in as a true freshman. Man, that is hard to do in the offensive line and started at right tackle for two seasons and then made the switch over to left tackle for a couple of years, playing that side for the Big Red, and did, did such a great job. I just remember him. We played Scott Frost's first year at Oscars, played at Ohio State, and he got matched up with Chase Young a lot that day and did a really good job of keeping Chase Young away from uh, Adrian Martinez and, and giving him time to throw the football. Oscars played a really good game that day. And we walking around and go, man, I don't know that I called Chase Young's name all game, and that was largely to Brendan Hymas, and you had a chance to, to catch up with a big fella here recently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a phenomenal career that he had with with Nebraska and just hoping nothing but the best for him uh, at the next level. Uh, but, yeah, I was lucky enough to chat with him for a few minutes, and, you know, at the time he was getting ready to work out for his pro day and, you know, put all of his hard work on the field for scouts to see and just started out by – uh, asking him how strange it felt to be called a former Husker all the time. Uh, extremely. I mean, I remember stepping on campus for the first time as a freshman, as if that was last weekend. You know, um, definitely had our ups and downs, but uh, you know, the ups definitely trumped the downs, and you know, I've made a lot of good friendships here, and made a lot of good relationships over the past couple of years, and and just forever grateful for this university and the fans that come with it, and. Um, you know, just proud to be a Husker, really. Absolutely. And the other part to this is you're, 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 you're molding your, your body, but you're also probably molding your mind. You're learning a lot about what, what this NFL thing is. It's not just 
throwing on the pads and going playing on Sundays. There's a lot behind this business and a lot of things that you got to do. Just how has that part gone, man? Not just worrying about what classes you got to sign up for, but worrying about uh, who you're talking to, what answers you're given, and, you know, just kind of molding your mind for, you know, really what's well, it's just as taxing mentally as I'm sure it is physically. Absolutely. And, and you know, you said it best. It, it's definitely a business. And, um, you know, I'm slowly starting to understand that. And um, but mentally, yeah, it has been tough. You know, I've had interviews basically every day, um, you know, having to focus on really what you what you say, because really every every time you talk to someone, you know, it's an interview. So um, you always got to be on your toes with what you're saying and make, making sure you're saying the right things. But at the end of the day, you know, just being yourself, you know. Um, I think these scouts and coaches are looking for guys with good character on and off the field. And um, that's someone who I truly think that I am. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I was raised right, right by a good group of parents and, and, you know, grateful for them and just trying to do the best that I can, you know, for them and, and, and myself. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to work itself out. Brendan, you've done enough on the field to – to earn some some opportunities to get looks um, outside of outside of just your game tape, what what have you learned? I guess from those opportunities, um, you know, given after your your Nebraska career was over, to just really take advantage of and, and pick the brains of some people that uh, really know the ins and outs of the business. Yeah, well, I mean, I've learned that you know the more, more versatile you are as an offensive lineman, I feel like you're you're, you're a more valuable asset to the team. So, um, you know, I've been trying to learn all the positions really, you know, at the senior bowl, I pretty much played all five positions on the O line and, you know, during the practice and in the game. So I'm real happy with that and how that turned out. I feel like it shows how uh, versatile I am. Uh, basically wherever they need me, you know, I can play, I can get thrown in there and, and do a good job. Um, so I'm real happy with that. I'm proud of that. And, um, you know, there is a little bit of a learning curve to some of the new positions, but I feel like I picked it up pretty well. Brendan Hymas, former Husker O-lineman with us here on Sports Nightly. Brendan, what feedback have you gotten so far? I know you probably have a lot of questions for, for, every, for everybody else, too, about what's been going on as they have questions for you. But what, what have you been told? Are you excited about uh, the potential here, nervous? What, what, are you, what are you feeling based on the feedback you've gotten? Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of emotions that, you know, I've I've been experiencing throughout this whole process between um, nervousness and, and, and excitingness, and it's just a whole lot to deal with. And But, you know, at the end of the day, it is, it is football, and it's a game that I love to play, and, and that's why I'm doing this. Um, all the perks aside is, is just a plus, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because I love the game of football, and I want to – my football career because I have goals for the future and I want to achieve those goals. Brendan, you made the decision to end your Husker career just, just a little bit early. What what did that decision mean to you? Because I'm sure you, know, you, you had a lot of emotions kind of culminating with that, not being able to put the Husker helmet on again, which I know meant a lot to you. But um, that, that, that decision and really starting your mindset into what was next for you in, in your life. Yeah, um, of course it was a big a big decision and it was a big deal for me um, personally just because, uh, you know, I'd given a lot to this program. I've given, you know, the best that I could for four years and, and you know, that decision was a very tough one for me. Um, at the time, that Rutgers game was up in the air on if it was mm -hmm. going to be played or not um, because of COVID and all that. So 
Um, because of the unknown, it made the decision a little easier to just kind of um, close this chapter of my life and start a new one. Um, I'd feel like I, I'd felt like I had done all that I needed to do, and had the tape that I needed to move on to the next level. Um, you know, I'd, I'd put my heart and soul into this university, and, and like I said before, proud to call myself a Husker. And um, but I, you know, I really couldn't do it without the the teammates that I had, and and the coaching staff, and their leadership, and uh, even the fans. You know, they they kept, they really kept us in it, and um, through thick and thin. So I'm forever grateful for them. Brendan, that you kind of mentioned your teammates with, with with your decision, it was the official kind of passing of the torch. You know, we, there's a lot of young offensive linemen in this program that have pretty high ceilings, and you've got to experience that closer than than any of us. Um, what's it like for you to kind of sit back now and watch some of these young pups take over, just like you had to do? Uh, it's a, it's a weird feeling, you know. I'd been I had been the young pup for so long, and then now I'm. <laughs> the old retired guy, you know, uh, the, the alumni to say. And, um, but, you know, I, I, at Nebraska, I fell into a leadership role that to where I was going to be the guy that led by example, whether it be on, on the field, off the field, or in the weight room. And that was my role as a team player. Um, I wasn't really going to talk about doing things. I was going to do them and do them well. And that's the legacy that, you know, that I wanted to pass down to – the younger younger guys on the team, you know, just doing the right thing all the time and doing it to the best of your ability. That was that was my goal to 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 these young guys, and uh, I feel like I've done that. I feel like um, the young guys that will play next year are going to be, you know, they're going to have their ups and downs also. But you know, I think that they have good leadership and with the coaching staff and with each other. So I think they'll be just fine. Brennan, before we cut you loose, I know, you know, fluidity is going to be important in your life here the next few weeks, but what's kind of your short-term plan? Uh, what's on your horizon? What's kind of your plan here as you let this thing kind of unfold in front of you? Um, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to get picked up or drafted by a team, then um, I kind of don't know. I guess I'll just <laughs> – I'm not quite sure what the schedule will be like, but, I get my, you know, my goal for my rookie season is to get on the field any way that I can and, and – and contribute to that team at any position, really, um, on the O-line. So um, that's really my goal for my rookie season is to play and show that I belong in that league and and to, um, you know, just bring a blue-collar attitude to whatever team I go to and, and uh, work, as hard, work as hard as I can with the people around me and just absorb all the information from the young, from the old guys because, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be new to a new program and I'll be the young guy again. So... Um, do the same thing I did here at Nebraska and just, um, you know, keep my head down and work as hard as I can and compete with anyone, really. It's, it's always exciting for us, you know, this time, too, to kind of sit back and, and watch you guys that we watch grow for four or five years, you know, have their dreams come true. And you're the next in line. So we're hoping for the best for you, man. We're all going to be anxious and, and following along with your journey. We wish you the best of luck. Keep your body healthy. Thanks for everything you've given here at Nebraska. We appreciate all the times that you've been able to, to give us some time and sit down with us. We wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. We're back, Sports Island, here on a Tuesday night. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you. Tim Kerr and Austin Orman back in the studios, and those boys are chomping at the bit to deliver us and take us beyond the headlines. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Five seconds left in the game. 
That's the way it is. Good night. Beyond the Headlines. That's right, Tim Curran, Austin Orman here for you to bring you through the seven of what we think are the very best, most juiciest stories in all of sports. Well, at least uh, the ones I could cobble together here (laughs) this afternoon. Uh, Starting with one you guys already talked about, actually, uh, the Soccer Super League. Uh, the, The global soccer community was rocked by the news that 12 of Europe's biggest clubs were planning on forming a Super League and where they play midweek games while also playing in their domestic leagues on weekends. Membership of that would be permanent. However, apparently it's, it's, it's not so permanent because the leagues already fall apart and six of the English clubs have already said, see you later. So who knows where the Super League stands. Uh, but, but that being said, do you guys like the idea of Super Leagues in general? You were talking earlier about conference realignment. Do you like that idea of major brands getting together and forming their own thing or do you were you guys kind of more status quo type dudes what's what's your thought on super leagues i definitely find myself more hesitant about it um i I feel like losing the tradition losing those historic matchups or um just changing the structure of of a season or now we got to do this now we got to do that to to accumulate this new thing i'm a little it takes me a little longer to come around on that idea. Uh, same thing with the college football playoff. You know, that was that was a, a new thing for me that, you know, I wasn't sure that I that I liked, uh, or I, I don't I don't want to say that. I was unsure of how the format would work. I guess is the better way to phrase that. Um, so I, I I think I, feel, I that's not to say I can't change my mind because I definitely have changed my mind on things like that in the past. I just feel like um, I'm not as gung ho about it initially as maybe some others are. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think you start becoming exclusive. I think that opens the door for a lot of lot of issues. I, I understand at the NCAA level the frustration of the bigger schools when they don't have the votes to pass some legislation that they would like to. I get that. Um, but I don't know that I'm in favor of, like, the Power Fives breaking away like we've talked about and, and it has been talked about i don't know that i'm in favor of that i i would have to be convinced of that i would need to hear a strong argument for why that's the best way to go very nice moving from the super league to a superstar earlier today jordan brand released the zion one zion williamson's first signature shoe he of course a second year player in the nba do you think he's done enough by age 20 to warrant getting his own shoe line this early hmm uh, uh, I don't know that he's done enough. I, I think he may get there. He's really talented. I was talking about this the other day that the Pelicans are on national TV all the time, right? I mean, they just seem like they're every time you flip, and they're not very good. And so you, you, we're missing some really good stories this year in the NBA because they preset a lot of these picks for TNT or for ESPN's coverage. And the Pelicans, because of Zion, I think he's got the potential to be that kind of a dominant guy, but I don't think he's there yet. I, they're two parts short, really, uh, to becoming a really good team. I watch them a lot. Uh, uh, I think their point guard play has really, really been a bummer this year. Lonzo Ball has been injured for a lot of the year. <clears throat> and, look, when Zion's playing, he's the most dominant player on the floor. There's no question about it. Brandon Ingram is an all-star. But I just, like, Steven Adams, not really doing it for me. Um, you know, Eric Bledsoe, I do not think is – has had a good year at all um so i I think that they're definitely deficient but just in terms of he himself 
you put him on 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 a team with talent, and he would absolutely shine. So, um, sure, give him a shoe. Greg, would it change your mind? You know how maybe not on the court, but off the court with you know how he's branded himself on social media and how followed he is. Does that impact the calculus at all for you? I don't know. I mean, hey, I'm all about a guy building his brand, and he's done a great job, and the people around him have done a really good job of building his brand. But I just, I kind of feel like you, you kind of need to earn your stripes a little bit. And he's getting there. He's he's a heck of a player, but I still think it's a little premature. I'm moving on to uh, actually a story that centers around Husker world. And the Texas Longhorns, of course, have been poking fun at Nebraska following their win over NU on Monday in volleyball. They posted a pair of tweets on their social media accounts, one taking a dig at Lexi's son, who, of course, used to play for UT. The tweet in question said, today's forecast, all sky, no sun. Also, the Texas Longhorns main account posted a picture of the Longhorn logo in a cornfield with the message, so much for cornfield advantage. That one probably could have been workshopped a little bit more. But nevertheless, uh, these social media swipes, do you think they're just good-natured fun or are they unprofessional? Um, I, I don't have a problem with it if, you know, if it's team poking at team. You know, the cornfield one, it's, it's lame, it's tacky, it's whatever. But I do have a problem when you start to go after individual student-athletes, uh, especially at the college level. I, I think that's childish. I think it's petty. Um, not a fan of that at all. I think it's really unprofessional, and I, I believe they deleted the tweet. Uh, if I yeah, I think I, you're right. If I'm correct, um, yeah, they took it down. That, that's that's over the line in my opinion. Um, plus, that was what three years ago. Like, get over it. I, I don't know. I just <laughs> bad taste in my opinion. It tells me Lexi's been living rent free in their head <laughs> for three years, right? If it's that, it's that still much under their skin for that to happen. Um, it's just it's kind of beneath it, but you know, and any t- social media is dangerous, guys. If you haven't figured that out, you, you, you're going to get yourself in more trouble than you're going to help yourself by trying to be clever and trying to do those things. And you know, a lot of times the guys and gals who operate these accounts for these big schools are young people. And they don't quite have enough sense yet to not maybe cross a line and do something. Why not just celebrate your team instead of having to poke fun at somebody you just beat? Celebrate your victories, not spit in the face of the people you beat or it diminishes your win, right? I mean, I just it just seems petty, but you got to be careful. And these athletic departments have to be careful, too, because, I mean, it's a reflection back on the school when you do something like that. Absolutely. Topic number four of the night. Major League Baseball unveiled its design for teams Armed Forces Day caps this morning. And the reaction to these all camo with white logo caps was pretty mixed. When you look at all Major League Baseball does with all their special days and holidays, which of those uh, different jerseys and different designs are your favorites? So which ones are we talking about now? Uh, I'm uh, trying to find it. You know, I'm like trying to look for a picture of it. Mother's Day, Father's Day, Jackie Robinson Day, Salute to the Negro Leagues Day, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, all those sort of. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I'm trying to find this hat. Let's see if I can find it here. I, I love the Jackie Robinson Day. I, I think that's great. And I love the Salute to the Negro Leagues. I think that yeah. is a great tip of the cap to that past those that were not allowed to play Major League Baseball until Jackie broke through the, the color barrier. I think that is fantastic. Love the look of those uniforms and what it means. So that that's probably my favorite. Jackie probably would be two. 
Yeah, I would agree. I, I think both of those are, are very good assessments. Um, also, you know, I think it's, you know, it's always cool seeing the, the stars and stripes represented on, on Independence Day on July 4th. If, I know they hand out some new gear and players wear arm sleeves and whatnot for those. But, um, yeah, I think those are probably the most meaningful to me. You know, you see the pink and blue bats on Mother's and Father's Day and, you know, some of that stuff. But um, I, I, I was a fan of the Boston uniforms that they wore uh, for Patriots Day, and a lot of people weren't because they weren't their colors. But um, signifying the Boston Marathon was really cool, and um, I, I, thought, I thought it turned out great. So I was a fan of those. All right, got another Nebraska-centric topic. The Huskers were ranked 46th in ESPN's 2021 college football power projections that were released just over the weekend. Uh, ESPN also gave Nebraska about a 55% chance to get to six wins and around a 4% chance to win the division. The ranking places in NU just behind the likes of Ball State, K-State, and Memphis and just in front of Baylor, Tennessee, Minnesota, and Purdue. So is 46 a fair estimation to you guys or do you think nebraska is being undervalued dare i say snubbed could probably not that but 46 um, is that yay or nay i don't know i mean i think it's fair uh, yeah i mean i, mean, I, I feel like gotta start they gotta start winning games right yeah ex- yeah that's that's exactly where i'm at and you know this stuff's this stuff's gonna come out and Pull, pulls. We're, we're we're not quite there, but we're almost to watch list season and um, <laughs> pull season and all that. And um, I'm fine if Nebraska wants to to not stay out of the limelight a little bit and not be, you know not be in those those types of conversations right now because Nebraska is low hanging fruit to a lot of people. Well, now here's an interesting thing. You have guess who at number four on this list? The Iowa State Cyclones. Um, <laughs> I, you know, they had a pretty good year last year, but, you know. On the Fiesta Bowl. Looking at, looking at fourth place, I mean, that, that is, I guess, the strangest. Maybe that's just my problem. I guess I'm not used to adjusting. Oklahoma State, they were probably like ninth or tenth, I think. Yeah, ninth. Mississippi State at eighth place. So there's some, Ooh, there's some, interesting, there's some interesting things on this list. I'm not, you know, ESPN's methodology, Ooh. a lot of it's strength of schedule. So Nebraska, obviously not helped there. But you're looking at Mississippi State at eighth place. I guess they really like Mike Leach. Um I, I don't know about that. So, anyway, that's where I stand yeah, that, on the ESPN's that list. Seems, that seems way out of lack. Iowa State won a, a New Year's Six Bowl game last year. It's true. They won the conference championship. So, obviously, and they've got a bulk of that team back. I think they're going to be a sexy top ten pick. Can they do it when everybody expects it? That's a different deal. When everybody thinks you're going to be good, can you live up to it? I don't know. that. that we'll have a debate on that when we sit down and do our top 25 for the preseason. But... Uh, yeah, that seems Oklahoma State and Mississippi State. That seems way too high for me. But for Nebraska, and that's back to your original thing. I, I think that's fair. You've got Nebraska's got to earn some respect right now. They don't have it, and nor should they. One guy who's got some respect in the NBA, Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors, setting NBA records left and right. One of those, he made his 72nd three over a stretch of just 10 games last night as the Warriors top the Philadelphia 76ers. Has any athlete changed how their sport is played more than Steph in your lifetimes? Mm-hmm. Well, Bob Gibson would be in Greg's, Greg's conversation. I mean, they had to change, <laughs> change a mound height for the guy. <laughs> Or will, yep, is, what about exactly. will the stilt go back that far? <laughs> um, Tiger, it's unbelievable, Tiger. isn't it? Bryson? 
Oh, look at Not that. Not yet, but Tiger, they, I mean, the Masters had to put, put different trees in. They had to lengthen the course because the Tiger came and just dominated it so much there in the late 90s. So he would be, you know, the guy that, that most recently, I think, really changed his sport a lot. And we were I mean, just Steph, talking the other day Steph about... Is, go ahead, Tim. Yeah, we were talking about the other day just about how they might have to change the three-point rules because it's not just Steph. It's also Damian Lillard. Guys can now pull up from 45 feet out and drain threes. That's, that's, not, that's not normal, and Steph's in that cohort. Steph is unbelievable. I mean, he's had such a good year, and, you know, the Warriors are, are not a great team around him. Obviously, Clay's still injured, and, you know, they've, they've had to break in some rookies with Wiseman and... Um, you know, Kelly Oubre coming over has been very inconsistent. Draymond's been hurt a bunch. But the stats that Steph has put up this year are absolutely incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. He, I think I read a stat, stat last night that he has six 10 three-point games this year. So he's hit 10 threes in six games this year. No other player in NBA's history has more than five for their entire career. So yeah. he has more 10 three-pointer games this year than any player has in their entire career. So it's just absolutely incredible what he's doing. All right, rounding out beyond the headlines with another NBA topic, Boston Celtics coach Brad Stevens was reportedly offered a seven-year deal worth $70 million to take on the Indiana oh. Hoosiers head coaching job before IU had to settle for Mike Woodson. Uh, for, for what it's worth, Stevens said he denied or has denied that he was offered that sum, but it begs the question, if he actually was, and let's just for the sake of argument say he was offered that sum, is he insane to have not even entertained that, to have just straight up turned that down? I mean, is getting is coaching in the NBA that much better than than living in Bloomington I guess I don't I mean 10 million dollars a year would have made him uh the highest paid coach in college basketball pretty easily so was was Brad Stevens a nutcase for turning down this job reportedly no he's he's coaching the Boston Celtics I mean I and 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 has a good team so yeah that that money's great and all that but I think he's good in a situation right now yeah, how much do you need? I mean, right? He's not like he's in the soup line. I mean, he, he's doing pretty well with the Celtics. I, I cannot believe – I saw that number today, and I cannot believe Indiana was prepared to, to offer that up to him. That just seems insane to me. But, no, he's, he's in a good spot. I think he also realizes that's a tough job right now. That's not the Indiana of 20, 25 years ago. They, they have slipped down the pole quite a bit, and – He's the head coach of the Boston Celtics, one of the premier franchises in all of sport. Yeah, that is fair. I mean, if Indiana, if they had offered me that sum, you know, I'd probably have found it pretty hard to say no. But, you know, that being said, I'm also not what's coaching he, the Boston Celtics. What do you make Celtics. for the Celtics? They, it, actually, I don't know Celtics? if that's public. Um, I, I, I'm sure it's a fair amount, but I, I don't – I would doubt that it's seven years, $70 million. But. Six years, 22 mil for Brad with the Celtics. Well, there you go. So he's making just under four a year with the Celtics. Yeah, three three point six six repeating. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. not it's not a bad chunk of change for Brad. That, that's okay. Just think about do. what's what's he won. Uh, well, Butler, I guess he brought them to the I guess runners up, but but they, but they didn't win. They didn't win. Boston has they made a conference finals under him? That one with it right, and I think that's it. <sighs> Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where this team goes with. I mean, he's got a budding superstar in Tatum. Jalen Brown's 
been awesome. They bring in Kemba Walker has been, hurts me to say this, a little disappointing this year. Uh, they need a big guy is what they need. They need a big guy to yeah, go compete. Right. But it, and it helps that LeBron is out of their division or their conference. Now they got to run through Milwaukee. they got to run through Philadelphia, even Miami. But uh, the path is, the is much yeah, this is much clearer now than than what it was having to beat Miami. But it's it's going to take a lot for them to, to get through get through in there. That's for sure. We are back. Sports Island on a Tuesday night, hour number three. Thank you so much for spending some of your evening with us. Going to have some fun this hour as our top ten Tuesday coming your way. And we'll also play you a snippet of our latest Husker Sports Originals podcast. Um, about the death of Brooke Berenger 25 years ago, the tragic death of that beloved Husker. Uh, some great comments from Tom Osborne in there, Aaron Graham, Brandon Stye, both teammates of of Brooke. So we'll, we'll play you part of it. We dropped that podcast today wherever you find your podcast. It's a great listen, great work put in by the team here to get that ready for everybody to listen to. So I'd encourage you to go listen to that. Brought to you by our good friends at JTEC Construction. All right, let's do it. Top 10. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. All right, we're kind of following the lead of European soccer, who came out a couple days ago announcing that they were putting together a Super League. We've talked about that throughout the program here tonight. We decided to kind of, and I think this was, Ben, I think this was your decision to kind of tweak this a little bit, right? Yeah, biggest, well, Tim Tim came up with the idea. We tweaked it a little bit. So, um, yeah, I guess for me, I, uh, I you know, I didn't want to just pick. I wanted it to make sense ge- geographically, and I also wanted it to make sense uh, competitively. So I didn't just go pick the Alabamas, the Clemsons, and the USC's and throw them on here. I think it's a it's a pretty predictable blend for me. Okay, and Tim, this is college, correct? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I stuck to the parameters this time. You won't. Yeah, I actually made my list ahead of time. I won't have to put it together while we're on air anymore. So that's 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 good. <laughs> that's good. All right, Ben, you, uh, you, you tweaked it to where our final product is. Why don't you lead us off? Sure. All right, my number 10 is a school that um, I would love to have back in Nebraska's conference, uh, a conference that uh, was they were in our conference there for a while. And I just feel with where they're at competitively, the, the facilities, the fan base, everything involved with them, I'd love to see the Aggies of Texas A&M back in, mm, uh, in Nebraska's yeah. conference and uh, go to Kyle Field, Blue, Blue Bell Ballpark down in College, sta- uh, college Station for baseball. Um, fairly competitive in hoops, so I feel like all around it would be a good addition. Cool. Tim? All right, my number 10, I've got another storied program, and that's LSU. I think also um, you know, Nebraska fans also have kind of an affinity for the Tigers. There just seems to be a connection there with you know Joe Burrow, of course, uh, the legend that is Bo Pelini uh, <laughs> was there as well. And, uh, of course, you always hear about the the kind of warmth and generosity of, of LSU Tiger fans when they visit for the College World Series. And plus, it's just I've got a lot of respect for that program. And I'm also in love with uh, Ed Orgeron. On, I mean, that, that man, I could listen to him speak all day. Now, I don't know what he's saying when he speaks. But uh, I, Tim, I, what are you doing <laughs> here, Tim? You go, come on, guys. Let's go. Go Tigers. I, I do know that, yeah, go, go Tigers indeed. So my, my uh, number 10, I've got LSU. 
Okay, I'm in the SEC as well for my number 10, and that's Tennessee. If you go back to the 90s, we all like to talk about the 90s, right? Nebraska and Tennessee were two of the prominent programs in college football. They love that program throughout their state. They've got a giant stadium. We're slated to play them here before the decade is out. Can't wait for that home and home. I just think it's two tradition-rich programs that are just, when you think of their state, you think of the volunteers. When you think of Nebraska, you think of the Cornhuskers. I think it'd be great. I've got Tennessee in here at number 10. All right, very good. My number nine has been mentioned on this show already tonight, and because of where they were perhaps projected to finish their college football season, uh, begrudgingly by one Tim Curran. I've got Iowa State here at number nine. Matt Campbell's built that thing up pretty well, and you know we we uh, we've seen them be competitive. Uh, on the football field, on the basketball court, and obviously would love to see them bring back baseball at some point in time. But uh, give me Iowa State at number nine. Hey, I got respect for Iowa State. It's actually where my uh, my sister went. Ames is a nice little college town. But at my number nine, I'm stealing Greg's thunder. I've also got the volunteers here, Tennessee. I actually used to live in uh, Memphis. Not, it's not Knoxville, but still in the state of Tennessee. So, yeah, Rocky Top all the way, two tradition-rich programs. Be fun to see them play. So, Tennessee, my number nine. How about that? Great minds think alike, right? right. I guess on this deal. All right, I'm staying in the South uh, for my next one. And here's where I've got Florida State. Boy, Nebraska and Florida State have had some incredible matchups in Orange Bowl games. They, like Nebraska in a lot of ways, have fallen off uh, national prominence of recent times, but still a storied program. Uh, Tallahassee's a cool place. I think that'd be cool to have, to have Florida State in the same league as the Cornhuskers. So I've got the Seminoles in there, number nine. All right, very good. On to number eight. My number eight wouldn't have been on my list, maybe even as soon as two two or three years ago, but uh, given what's happened the last couple of times we've played them, I want the opportunity to play them every single year. Give me Minnesota at number eight. I think, uh, you know, for, for hoops, playing at the Bard is a, is a great venue. They've had a really good baseball team in years past, not, not so much this year, but uh, and P.J. Fleck, I want another crack at those guys after what they did to us the last few times we played them. So give me the goofs here at number eight. All right, my number eight, this is where I've got the Mena Troy USC. Now, the shine on that program has been kind of diminished in the little recent years with uh, various coaching changes and violations and so on and so forth. But I do think that USC still is a fun brand to be associated with. And, of course, I'll never forget that, that uh, 2007 college game day game. Of course, that game didn't go in Nebraska's favor. I won't forget it for, uh, you know, not, not necessarily great reasons. But uh, I do think that it's fun when you have a kind of blue blood rich program like USC and Nebraska play, uh, which is why they're my number eight. Okay, I'm in the Pac-12 as well for my number eight, but I'm going a little further north. I'm going to Seattle and the Washington Huskies. Nebraska's just had some really good matchups with that program down through the years, home and homes, uh, some great matchups in the 90s with, with the Huskies. Uh, a proud program, another state institution. I think it would be great to have them as part of this super conference. So I've got Washington there at my number eight. All right, my number seven, I'm going not too far away, just to Barry Vaughn's home run south of here. I've got the Kansas Jayhawks here at number seven, a misplant at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, it'd be nice to have um, a, a lesser team, so to speak, on the football field compared <laughs> to what some of my heavy hitters are a little later on. But um, give me Kansas, drivable for the fans, and uh, just a nice, easy trip to make. So I'll take Rock Chalk here at seven. They are still in process of trying to hire a football coach, by the way, no. Dan and Lawrence. 
Oh, my. Is Brad Stevens available? He might try. You know, probably have <laughs> much success than anyone else there. Uh, my number seven, this is where I've got UCF. And, you know, oh. again, a team that probably wouldn't have been on my radar 10 years ago, but obviously with the with the Scofro connection, I mean, every every Nebraska fan would, would admit to themselves they'd like to see that matchup. The storylines would be great. Um, UCF also, I mean, it'd be fun to take that team down a peg or two. They like to thump their chest. Everyone kind of laughs at the uh, whole national championship that they awarded themselves. So, uh, yeah, Nebraska and UCF, I mean, come on, that, that'd be fun. So, so my number seven. You just want to go to – Disney Disney World. Now I wouldn't be a po- I went to Disney World when I was in high school. Loved every second of it. So yeah, yeah put me down. There you that. go. My number seven. I'm coming back to the Big Ten. Michigan, one of the great tradition programs in all of college football. One of the top five in all time wins. The Big House, pageantry, khaki pants, all of it. I got Michigan at number seven. All right, my number six, I'm staying in the Big Ten, too, but I'm going the big rival of Michigan. Give me the Buckeyes here at number six. Um, Starting to grow more of an attachment to them uh, in terms of being in the same conference. I'm I'm getting really tired of seeing them on our football schedule every year, but really good program all the way through. Football, baseball, basketball, even volleyball this year, just a tremendous season. So I've got the Buckeyes here at six. At my number six, this is where I have the Sooners, kind of an obvious pick to have on the list. But uh, And, of course, Nebraska is going to play them this year, uh, not, not ducking them. Uh, that's right. We're going to play them uh, this season. So, yeah, Nebraska and Oklahoma, it, it's kind of it's kind of got to be on the list. I, I feel like I couldn't have left it out. So, so there you have it. All right. Very good. All right, my number six, I'm going to Alabama here at number six. You guys might have a little higher. Uh, I'm not as intrigued by the – Crimson Tide program, maybe a some, certainly one of the great ones, and certainly in the midst of a heck of a run right now. So uh, put Alabama in my super conference. I got them at six. Sweet. All right, my number five, definitely won a piece of these guys again and can't wait till we match up again on the football field with them. Give me Colorado here at number five. Um, yeah, in terms of the uh, fan experience in Boulder, heard multiple stories of, of what to expect, and uh, believe it or not, it was worse than what I expected. So <laughs> I would love another crack uh, at playing those guys and being able to, uh, you know, get a get a win on their field and, and not just the sport of football but other sports as well. So give me the buffs. My number five, this is where I have the Oregon Ducks. Of course, that's oh. uh, producer Mick's uh, adopted team now, so he'd be happy I included them in the list. But, yeah, they're a fun team. I mean, it's kind of like a new money versus old money matchup. You have the Flash uh, versus the more traditional. Um, of course, now both teams really run a very up-tempo offense. But I think in terms of you know program success, uh, they're, they're teams that have a lot of rich tradition now, and Oregon – uh, certainly in recent years, uh, they have not been necessarily a, a juggernaut ever since Chip Kelly left. That being said, you also have the Frost connection. Um, they're also still a really solid program, and not just in, of course, football, but in basketball as well. So, yeah, I would like to see Nebraska and Oregon uh, go at it. Just be leery of that duck driving yeah. around on that yeah. little, uh, little scooter dang Push-ups. Yep. They're not yep. exactly careful with where they're driving that baby. <laughs> well, that's right. All right, my number uh, – we're five, right? My number five yes. is has been mentioned. I've got LSU here, and Tim's right. I mean, LSU fans are great when they come up for the College World Series. Uh, Nebraska has not really played them. I, I know that the, we won a, a national title against them with Jerry Taggy at quarterback in the 70s. Uh, that would be a cool one, I think. Uh, so the Bayou Tigers make my list at number five. 
All right, on to the top four. My four here, I'm going to South Bend, Indiana with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Never been to South Bend. Would love to go to Notre Dame Stadium, see touchdown Jesus. Uh, their baseball team's having an unbelievable season this year. They're ranked in the top ten, and I think it would just be a really good partnership, two traditional college powers in the same conference. Give me the Irish. I'm shocked you put them on. I really am. <laughs> Are you really? <laughs> yeah. You, you never like to talk about the Irish. Yeah, no. <laughs> My number four, Greg already mentioned this one. It was Florida State. Again, a program that in recent years has taken their beatings, uh, needless to say. But they're still a, a tradition-rich program, and I think that whenever you have two blue bloods, so to speak, go up against another, that's, that just has a natural kind of in- intrigue for me, even if they are on a little bit on the downswing. But, hey, uh, it happens to a lot of programs, and I'm sure they will be back again on the scene soon. And so Nebraska and Florida State like to see them play. They're my number four. Okay, my four lines up with Ben. Here's where I've got the Golden Domers. Give me another name, four. Love that. All right, top three. Here we are. My number three on the football schedule this year, mentioned before, I've got OU, Boomer Sooner here at number three. I just would love an opportunity to play those guys year in and year out. Uh, Again, not just in football, but in all the sports. And Greg took me to Norman not that long ago when we're in the the regional in in Oklahoma City and love the campus and would love to uh, be there on a regular basis. Well, my number three, I've got another Florida school, and that's, well, Florida, the Gators. Uh, I want to see Nebraska and Florida play, again, a a program that has been – consistently um successful over the over the decades um and of course nebraska famously had their tommy frazier took them to task <laughs> with steve spurrier having a meltdown on the sidelines it's always uh kind of that great uh fun historical angle as well and also uh you know when i was a kid florida were the kind of team to beat when urban meyer uh was coaching the gators and now um you know maybe not as as successful as they were when urban meyer's at the helm but still a very solid program and definitely one i'd like to see nebraska play so three is uh florida okay my three are the hookums and i know this stings because we lost to him in volleyball yesterday but i miss competing against texas in all the sports whether it's baseball volleyball football field um you know i and i tim just got back from there i think austin texas is a great place to go visit wouldn't want to live there but a great place to go visit a lot of fun um i I miss texas i'll admit it give me the longhorns in my super league at number three I right, can confirm number, it is a fun place to play. Um, Tim, did you go or is it back to me? No, you're good. Right? You're good. Okay. Yeah, my number two, right across the, the river to the east, I've got the Iowa Hawkeyes here at number two. After being in a league with them, I, I, I would not want to be in a league without them. I, I love competing against them. I would love for the, for the series to flip around at some point in time. Um, but, yeah, anytime Nebraska and Iowa compete in anything, it's enough to get my blood going. So give me Iowa here at two. Again, you shocked me. I can't believe you put them in there. Yeah, they deserve to be. <laughs> there we go. Storied rivalry. Uh, my number two, this is where I also have Notre Dame or Notre Lame, as I, you know, crushingly uh, uh, refer to them. But, no, I mean, as annoying as Notre Dame can be, I, I have to give it up. I mean, they, they are a tradition-rich very okay very much tradition uh they lean into that very hard uh over there in south bend um but and of course nebraska also has uh you know a little bit of history with, with notre dame stretching way way back and i'd love to see for nebraska and notre dame to you know rarely play each other that would be an absolute blast um and so yeah two two, two programs that definitely take their college football and their college football history quite seriously so notre dame the irish the fighting irish my number two 
Okay. My number two is a current Big Ten member, and it's the Ohio State Buckeyes. Love going to the to the shoe to call games. Like their athletic department a lot. They're good in so many different sports. It's a challenge anytime you face an Ohio State team, whether it's volleyball or softball or baseball or basketball. Uh, they make you rise up your level of your game, and I, I, I appreciate that about them. So I would want them in my Super League. I've got Ohio State at two. All right, on to the number one spot. My number one, I, my, my one through three are probably interchangeable, but just because of what happened on the volleyball floor last night, I've got Texas here at number one. Would love to compete with the Longhorns uh, in, in, in more sports more often. We had a series not long ago where they came up for baseball. The baseball team swept them. That was uh, one of the better memories I have of playing Texas in any sport. Uh, would love to play them again in football. And, yeah, obviously, you know, hoops down at the drum, too. So, yeah, definitely Texas worth a spot, my number one. Well, uh, my number one, I guess, just to copy Ben, that's where they say the stars at night are big and bright. Uh, Yeah, the Longhorns. I just returned from the land where Bevo roams. In fact, I saw some Longhorns as soon as I left the airport. So (laughs) the the stereotype is true. But Austin is a very fun place to be. I I can confirm after doing some extensive research on how fun Austin would be uh, (laughs) this past weekend and can confirm it is a great place to hang out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Texas, again, it's a team that you kind of love to hate, I, I think that you know in the big 12 days uh OU when they kind of took a back seat when Nebraska was only playing them every other year Texas certainly became a team that kind of just they just stuck in your craw and I'll never forget that big 12 title game with the one second Mac Brown rule I think that will haunt our dreams and memories for for years and years to come but um you know got it got to give it up to Texas uh, it, not only is it a fun place to visit but it is a uh, fun program to, to to compete against and definitely a team you love to hate so they're my number one Okay, my number one's Oklahoma. I just it's the the great tradition of the two programs, and I, I miss competing against them. Going to have a great time going to Norman this fall, and when they come back here next year, uh, just two iconic college football programs, and they've gone hand in hand for uh, decades. And sorry, with the split of the conference, that doesn't happen anymore. But Oklahoma's in my super conference at number one. So our number ones were Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, and, and Oklahoma. Yeah. Boom, boom. Back to back on those two. Uh, Brooke, the life of a Husker legend is the name of this podcast, and you can get it wherever you find podcasts. Here's a little snippet of what it sounds like. It was a little strange, um, you know, seeing Tommy back out there, you know, practicing down in Miami and the two of those guys competing rep after rep, and then the coaches making the decision in the end. Coach Osborne had to call on Beringer to rally the team. And one thing I think about is what would have happened if Coach Osborne had decided, no, I'm going to stick with Tommy. I can't let, you know, like we're down 10 to nothing, but I can't, I don't want to suggest that we need to make a change. But he did make a change, and, and Beringer, you know, rallies the team. And what a great story, you know, when you think about the, the nuances of, of what happened, including, you know, Brooks' contribution during his career and in that game. And it is Brooke Beringer. Beringer, the 6'4", 210-pound junior who guided Nebraska to seven straight wins when Tommy was on the shelf. Threw a couple of interceptions in the scrimmage here, and that allowed Tommy to earn the starting job. And when the second quarter begins, Beringer will be at the controls, first and 10 Nebraska, at their own 29-and-a-half-yard line behind 10 to nothing. Beringer at the controls as the Cornhuskers take over in good field position at the Miami 40. Here we go, Kent. Huskers need something on this possession. 
First and 10, Nebraska at the 19-yard line of Miami. Double tight ends, full house backfield. Hester Johnson in motion to the left side out of that. Brook drops back, rolls to the right, run pass option. He's got Matt Shaw. Matt Shaw's in there. Matt Shaw's in there for the touchdown. Mark Gilman's got the ball. Mark Gilman for the touchdown. On a run pass option, first and 10 at the 19-yard line of Miami. Rolls to the right as Gilman, on a late release on the right side at tight end, got into the end zone for the touch. You know, at the time, it was kind of business as usual. The coaches did such a great job in kind of taking the temperature of what was happening offensively for us during the game. And as the game wore on, it was evident that you know running the football uh, and running the option and running the short trap and those those type of plays were going to just really put us in a position to wear them down and you know have an explosive play here and there and you know again you know Brooke came in and you know at the beginning of the game and he broke the ice for us with Mark Gilman you know that was kind of cool those two guys hooking up for that first touchdown and you know in Miami's defense uh, stifled Brooke and you know if you look back I mean heck, I think we had like five turnovers in that game it was it was kind of crazy and so when when Tommy and Brooke you know when they would come in and out it was uh, for me it was like business as usual I had enough to deal with you know with Warren Sapp and you know that entire defense um, they're so fast but again I thought it was a credit to the coaches and, and really taking the temperature where we were in that game and how he substituted those both those guys in and out. We got 21 seconds to go. 20, 19, 18. Nebraska will win the national championship. The Cornhuskers beat Miami 24 to 17 and win the national title. Tom Osborne just got Gatorated. There's the last second of the game and it is official. It is history. 13 and 0 and bring that trophy back to Lincoln. With Tommy Frazier set to return in 1995, Beringer spent the vast majority of his senior season on the bench in a backup role, a role that he took with grace and humility. The main thing was that um, the next year they both came back and they were both well. And, uh, and I think there were players on the team that favored one or the other. So what we did is just threw it open. We said, well, whoever grades the best in fall camp will be the starter. And we really had a very talented team that year. And uh, it probably wasn't going to make a lot of difference which one played because we had such a great supporting cast. But I think Brooke had one interception in fall camp and Tommy had none. So we gave the ball to Tommy. And I think that was the significant thing about Brooke was that you know, a lot of guys would have tried to lead a revolt or make a mess out of things, and Brooke didn't do that. He uh, he said the right thing, did the right thing. I knew it hurt him badly not to start, but he held things together. Tommy had a great year. We had a great team. Nobody came close to us that whole year, and we beat Florida at the end by 40 points or something like that. And it was the best team that I coached that year. So, anyway... I had a lot of respect for him in in regard to how he handled himself. One of the things maybe that helped Brooke was that the knowledge that he had played the previous season when Tommy had been injured and that he was he was effective and he was capable and he probably knew that you know at any given time it could happen again. But I think that the other thing maybe that was going on for him is that he had a suspicion that he had a future 
uh, in the in the NFL after after his senior year, regardless of of uh, whether he played or not. So all of that combined probably probably contributed to how Brooke Mariner hung in there in '95 as a backup after his instrumental role in '94. You know, looking back, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I mean, Brooke, gosh, I mean, he'd be starting anywhere else in the country. But knowing his personality, you know, and understanding that at any given moment, uh, the guy, you know, the guy in front of him could go down. And, you know, that team was confident in, in having Brooke uh, being that backup. It was unfortunate, but again, Tommy, you know, Tommy had a Heisman Trophy winning season. I think he got robbed in the end. Um, so there was no denying, you know, the level of play that Tommy you know, afforded the team. Brooke was obviously disappointed. But, you know, let's let's don't sugarcoat it and say, look, he was just a, a, a he was happy to be in the backup position. It, that, that that certainly wasn't the case. But you know, he had really grown close in his um, relationship with Christ that year, and um, and it showed. And he took the position that he was going to make the best of it, and um, he was going to use some of his influence that. He had, especially with the the kids in in the state of Nebraska, and um, I think really be a, um, kind of a you know potential father figure or, or somebody they could look up to as uh, someone that they could uh, you know want to emulate and be. And and he certainly utilized that time to to really uh, give back to the community. I mean, he it's not like he didn't have more that he wanted to prove. He certainly proved himself enough in that junior year in 94, you know, to uh, know his value forever in Nebraska football history. Wow, what a story. Um, You heard the voices there of Kent Pavelka, Coach Osborne, Aaron Graham, Brendan Stye. Um, Ben, you were instrumental in putting this together. This this still tugs at your heartstrings when you think back to, to Brooke and, and the loss of a life at such a young age. Oh, man. I mean, even 25 years after the fact, it, it was still hard asking those questions to those guys in the interviews, you know, because you, you just, you know, it, it, yeah, it, the, the emotions are still hot, you know, and hearing Aaron Graham talk about how, he thinks of Brooke all the time, and um, man, it's just the the best part about that was hearing the positive stories. You know, hearing Aaron Graham chuckle about the way Brooke would make fun of his teammates, or uh, that that was that was the best part. And then obviously, um, the worst part is having to ask them to relive that day and that experience, yeah. um, and just the all natural emotion that comes out when they tell the, that story specifically Aaron and, and for those who aren't aren't familiar Aaron Graham who was of course a phenomenal football player at Nebraska was Brooks roommate and probably Brooks best friend so he was of of the utmost importance to get onto that podcast because um you know you'll hear it you'll hear it there in the podcast I, I'm, I'm willing to spoil it you know he he was in that in those airplanes with Brooke all the time and knew how he was as a pilot, as a person where he came from, you know, his, his family background and just a match made in heaven between those two. And unfortunately for him, he lost his best friend at a young age. Just, uh, this one was a, a little different than the than most of them we put together just because of, you know, the content of, of, of the subject. And it was, it turned out really well and big time kudos to Josh for, for mixing and matching these, these clips and, you know, running through that together because that, that that's a it's a it's a story that you want to get right, and this is a, a podcast that you want to get right, and I really hope people take the time to go listen to it. 
Yeah, great work. Brooke, the life of a Husker legend. You drop today wherever you get your podcast. Great listen to Set Aside. And probably you need to have a box of Kleenex nearby as well as you relive that tragic day uh, April 25 years ago.